0: Coming to you live from Atlanta,
1: Georgia, it's time for another episode of Tech Talk with your host,
2: Joey Klein.
1: Super exciting day here at Tech Talk. I'm looking at people in the eye, sitting right across from me, um, and uh, it is just thrilling. Uh, This is the first time that we've been on in a couple of months for obvious reasons, um, and to be able to sit across from everyone is just a treat, um, so I'm super excited. We've got three really great guests, as always. Um, first, we're going to talk to the CEO of Consume Media, Leo Falkenstein. How's it going? Good, good, good. good. Thanks for coming. And uh, then we're going to chat with CEO of Instant Financial, Steve Barha. Great to be here. Thank you. And finally, we've got CEO of Ironscales, Eyal Benishti. Thanks for having me here. Absolutely, guys. Again, it is. I am. I am gleeful just being in front of everyone. The simple joy of getting out and seeing people. I never thought how much I'd appreciate it. Okay, let's get to it. So, um, we we've got interesting entrepreneurial stories all around here. Um, you know, sometimes on this show we have uh, first-time entrepreneurs. Sometimes we have serial entrepreneurs. Sometimes we have founders. Sometimes we have you know a you know, sort of for hire CEO. Um, And in this instance, I think we've got a lot, all three of you are, you know, have a really interesting story about the founding of your organizations. Um, And so I'm very excited to hear about all of that. So, so Leah, you're the CEO of Consume Media and, you know, you, um, some people would say that you really haven't had a quote unquote real job, right? You have, Done this from college and transitioned this into adult life. That's absolutely correct, and I'm very proud of the fact I've never had a real job. Yeah, I mean, if we can all be so lucky, right? Right. Okay. So you started this in college. Give me a little bit of background about why someone wants to start a business in college and how that, how you make that something uh, profitable and um, uh, you know a, a, a thriving company.
3: Absolutely. So it all started when I was a junior in college, entering my senior year. You know, the normal path is, okay, it's the summer before senior year. Let's find an internship. At the time, I had just picked up a second major. I was a finance major in the business school at the University of Georgia, and then a mass media arts major at the Grady School of Journalism and Mass Communication. My passion really lied on the creative side, on the video creation side, and as I was looking for that internship, I couldn't find what I wanted. Everything that I was looking for was digital and broadcast journalism, and I knew I didn't want to report the news. That was just absolutely where I did not want to be. I wanted to create videos, but I didn't want to report the news. Um, you know, my, my dad's a business owner. My grandfather's run some companies. So I've always had this entrepreneurial spirit, always wanted to start my own business. And that just seemed like the right time. Um, ultimately, I, my business partner I'd known for a long time. I looked at him. I said, hey, let, let's start this media company. And a few weeks later, it was born. Uh, we, we started a business, called it Consume Media. Uh, we became a video production company. We learned quickly that the only way to be a video production company is to call yourself a video production company. We might not have had any experience, but you know, we told people we were a video production company and got some business quickly. Um, we were in Athens, Georgia, so we were working with um, a lot of musicians, a lot of artists, a lot of the party promoters, and that's really the, the video content that we started creating originally. Um, From there, we started getting more corporate gigs And when we graduated college and moved back to Atlanta Realized that the entertainment industry Was going to be really hard to pay the bills that way And started getting into video marketing for businesses There is something to be said for
1: the naivete of youth And um, a really nothing to lose type attitude, right?
3: Absolutely, I mean, we literally At least in my eyes, I'm like, okay The very, very least, we have some fun And we learn a few things about video creation and and you know, at the on the best side of things it's like okay we can turn this into a business we can grow this and we can really turn this into something that's more than just a summer job it's something that can be a real lifelong business well um so i definitely want to get to exactly what you guys do and
1: and what a video marketing agency is but you've touched on something that i think is interesting because you you have an organization where it's really you and your buddy okay yes. um being scrappy Likely being a little bit informal in how you run the business as college kids. And now you have something in which you've got a company where you are responsible for people's livelihoods. Um, you hire people, you offer them benefits, um, and that is a very different animal. And I'm curious as to the transition from um, college kid just messing around to actually having to, not that you wouldn't have been taking it seriously, but I think you get what I'm going at, right? How do you become the boss?
3: Every day is different. Every day you just got to move, you know, one foot in front of the other. And there was never this aha moment. We are a business now. It was always like, okay, how can we be better than yesterday? How can this month be better than next month? How can, or how can this year be better than last year? And that's really always been what it's been. It's just one foot in front of the other. You learn something new every day. You're going to make mistakes. You try not to make the same mistake twice. And each day it's just like, okay, now, you know, it's really just that snowball effect and that's how we've kind of acquired clients that's how our business has grown it's like okay we've now have a happy customer now this happy customer can refer us we now have one employee now that you know we're getting more business now we have two employees and it's really like it's never like okay i'm going to go seek and get a million dollars of funding that was never really our strategy our strategy was very bootstrapped it was like okay we let's just grow organically let's grow through customer success let's make our customers happy and if we keep having custom, happy customers we'll be able to grow this business and, and hire more people and raise their salaries and give them benefits and that's really how it's been well, and, and that
1: organic growth seems to have also occurred in the evolution of what your company actually does. So you started out, you know, basically providing films to the entertainment industry, and now, you know, obviously that production is a key piece of your business, but the strategy behind how you use
3: that content seems to be just as integral as well. Absolutely. So as you mentioned, it started with, okay, let's film, let's edit video, let's give it to our clients, let's make them happy, let's make them great video content. You know, as we, especially as we got into the corporate world and the uh, price of our video content started getting higher, we would look at it and be like, okay, wow, we've created this awesome video content for these clients. But we'd get into these situations where we have this awesome piece of video content, but after three years, it's sitting on YouTube and it's accumulated 53 views. And we just look at each other, we're like, wow, we made a great piece of content, but who really won here? Like, you know, we can't say that this pace of video content, achieved business goals and that's when we sort of evolved from a video production company to a video marketing agency Um, and that's the video marketing agency is really the idea of not just creating video content but making sure that our clients are able to use this video content to achieve their business goals and uh, it's there's a framework there it starts with giving them the right content the content that they need to uh to uh, um, achieve their business goals It then is about making sure that this content gets in the right places so that the people who need to see this video are seeing these videos. And then how is this optimized to make sure that once they're viewing this video that, you know, they are now in the right place to uh, the customer, the prospect is in the right place to understand this video and and, uh, go forward with the next step, whatever that is. Is that a revolutionary
1: insight? I guess I'm curious if your competitors are primarily video production companies that you know put together a product, give it to the organization, and basically assume that clients' marketing department understands what to do with this, um, you know, or are there other organizations that have come across this kind of same theory
3: of how to best make use of videos? Sure. I think that a lot of companies especially companies who are older than us have you know historically been that video production company but I think you know video marketing is is a thing right now you know everyone's hearing about video marketing if you google video marketing it's like okay why you need video marketing for your business so the people who are producing videos now understand this information and everyone's sort of starting to uh, the industry starting to get lifted up rather than where it used to be you know it, I was a You know, it used to be someone who was a TV producer is producing videos for your business, but their expert was in TV. Now it's like everyone is sort of in this digital world. Everyone's on Facebook. Everyone's on LinkedIn. Everyone's seeing how videos are getting used. So um, I don't know if it's revolutionary from like that consume media has created a revolutionary process. But I think that we are ahead of the curve of a lot of other companies who are still learning some some things um, where we might be just a little bit uh, further ahead. I'm, I'm interested in the, uh, okay, so I've always been interested in how, how an
1: um, organization evolves over time, okay, especially, you know, one that is in a, the, it's in infancy stages, okay? I'm also interested in how employees evolve over time and how they change the company. And so it would seem to me like you have had to hire two distinct sets of employees, creatives and business people, Correct. Um, and I am curious how you find those people if you're looking for someone with a little bit of both, if you have found clashes in strategy amongst creative versus business people,
3: how has that played itself out? Great question. So it obviously depends on the position, right? Like, So someone who is in post-production and animation doesn't necessarily need to be the most marketing-savvy person. Our producer, on the other hand, the one who's writing the scripts and setting up the the, the videos they definitely should have some sort of idea about how these videos are going to be used and then on the client success side obviously like it's great that they we want them to have a creative mind as well like our our people on our customer success side are both very very passionate about video and and you know understand what type of videos we need to create and what they could look like and what it takes to get there but ultimately their job is to make sure that once this content is in their hands, that they're achieving their business goals. Yeah, um,
1: you know, on the topic of you know uh, achieving those goals and what the right strategy is. So, look if anyone goes to your website, they can see that you have had a myriad of different types of clients, and and you've had a lot of success in technology clients. And I want to talk about that in a little bit. But you know, you've worked with everyone from sales loft to a you know urology practice, and so. Um, I'm very curious about the different framework and strategy that you use for those two different type of clients. Is it that it's, the message is a little bit different, but really a strategy for business is a strategy for business no matter whether you're a doctor or a tech company? How do you think about this? Sure.
3: So we've simplified the video marketing content needs, essentially. We've decided that there's, and we've kind of took this from HubSpot, their approach is called the flywheel approach, and it's about attracting your customers, or attracting prospects, engaging these prospects, and turning them into customers, and then delighting your customers so that they can become an advocate of your business. All businesses need to do those three things, attract, engage, delight. And there's lots of different types of video content that can fit into each of those buckets. When it's attracting, it's about you know the digital advertising, and once Uh, they've heard your message, you know, getting that first brand message and and understanding, okay, this company can help me. That's the attract stage. And it's engage and it's about, okay, uh, this is a product explainer. This is how I should, you know, this is what you need to know about my product. Here are some testimonials. Here are some case studies. Those are the types of video contents that once you've heard about this brand can really validate, understand, help the customer understand the product and turn them into a customer. And when you're delighting the customer, it's, you know, uh, if it's a technology company, onboarding videos or frequently asked questions—just having series of content that, as they're trying to get uh, to understand the product and get the most out of their product, having a resource bank that you can just easily click, watch a one-minute video, and understand. Okay, this is easy. Uh, thanks for helping me out. I didn't have to figure that out on my own. So, really, the attract, engage, delight. Uh, framework works with every single company and obviously you got to tweak things you know a urology practice is going to do things different than a terminus or a sales loft or any technology company but at the end of the day all companies have to do those three things okay so you you just name dropped several of um
1: you know atlanta's most successful technology startups in the past decade um and looking you know at the Testimonials and uh, videos displayed on your website. You have clearly been embraced by that community, and I'm curious if that was something that you strategically sought out, um, and whether or not the answer to that question is yes or no. What you think is special um, about what's happening in Atlanta technology right now?
3: Sure, I think that's a great question that kind of weaves all my answers together because, you know, we have grown a lot through relationships. Me and my business partner and a lot of my team have born and and raised in Atlanta. So we have a lot of relationship across the city. So we got into Terminus. They were our first technology company because I had a friend who was an intern there. It was that simple. They introduced me to the VP, or it was someone in marketing. They introduced me to someone in marketing. We did a couple videos for them. They liked it, and that kind of snowballed from there. Terminus became a great client, and after four years, we finally signed like a year-long retainer with them. Once we started um, having more content to show that was, and we started getting more referrals, that's kind of how we snowballed across, across the technology industry. It's like, okay, we've done a lot of good work for Terminus. Why can't we do the same sort of good work for SalesLoft? Why can't we do the same sort of work for Shootfoo for Intelum? And it's really just a relationship game. Um, it's not like we put out this big marketing campaign and, said, campaign and said, hey, let's go after all these growing tech companies. Obviously, that's in the back of our mind because we've had success stories there. But it's really just one relationship at a time. You, know, you do good work for one person or for one organization. And, and the technology industry in Atlanta is very, very close. A lot of people know each other. There's a lot of meetups. Um, you know, there's a lot of people going from one company to another.
1: Sure.
3: And you know, that's also happened for us. You know, When someone goes from one company to another, they say, oh, we worked with Media at this company. And they did a great job. Let's work for them over here. I'm going to tell my VP of marketing about that. And again, it's a relationship game. It's a snowball effect. And if you do good work for, for some people and they're all close, it just kind of grows organically from there. It, it, it sounds like you have found what
1: I believe to be true in
3: that, uh, okay, obviously
1: Atlanta is a you know, major metro area, you know, in the top 10 of the country, right? We're an economic powerhouse, okay? But, and yes, we have a, a large population, the largest that we've ever had. Um, but it does feel a little bit like a small town sometimes in, in, a, in a good way, not in a stifling way, but in the way that um, you can take advantage of those close networks and referrals. Um, and if you do good work, you can be acknowledged. I, I almost think that, yes, the, obviously there's a cohort of people who have grown up here and have relationships, but I feel like there's just as many transplants that have had to break in that it, it has never felt to me, even as someone who's grown up here, as... Um, that there's a, that there's a limit, you know, to, to what outsiders can do. Um, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm very excited to touch upon this, um, in my, you know, uh, subsequent interviews with Steve and Egal because you two, you know, are, are not from here and you've been successful, but, um, I'm curious if you think it, how, how you think Atlanta's business community has changed from when, you know, we grew up here to now, or if you have only sort of been paying attention <laughs> to
3: the past 10 years and, you know, what's the basis for comparison? Sure. I mean, you know, I'm fairly young, 20, 29 years old, but what I've seen is that obviously it's been easy to see how much the city has developed over the last 10, 15 years. It's not even comparable. Um, You know, so many different areas of Atlanta just, you know, we're not, you know, fantastic areas to live in, to be in. You know, now you have all these different areas. Anyway, I, I think what's really cool is that, as you mentioned, like everything, it's a small community in in a big city. I think that a lot of people are really because there's so many transplants. There's it's so easy to start a conversation with somebody because everyone doesn't know each other, but everyone's excited to know each other because there's so many people who've come in from so many different places. And me, like you know, I'll get in an Uber and be like, "You're from Atlanta? That's that's crazy." I never get anybody from Atlanta. Yeah, same. <laughs> so. I think it's unique being someone who has lived here, who has relationships here, but I feel like everyone, because so many people have converged onto this city, everybody's just excited to meet each other, learn more, and, and become a community. I, I just think there are very few places in the country where you
1: can, kind of, as, as a young person with relatively little experience, kind of raise your hand and get involved, whether that's in business, whether that's in civic government. Um, there just does not seem to be the same... Uh, you know, emotional or
3: institutional barrier that people mm-hmm. put up, I think, in, in other cities. Yeah, I mean, it's a very diverse community. We have a great culture here in Atlanta, and it's not too big, it's not stuffy, it's very warm, welcoming, southern vibe. And I think that that's part of the magic of it. Let, let's talk about video for a little bit, uh, not that we haven't. Um,
1: okay, video is clearly a phenomenon um, of the, let's call it the past decade or so, okay? Okay. Um, It has completely changed how people get news, how they learn new things, how they consume information. And I am curious what you think about the psychology of why we latch on to video so much, why it has become the game changer it has in the past decade.
3: Video is a passive way to receive stories. The human brain is wired to love stories. That's why we love books. That's why we love novels. That's why we love movies. That's why at the end of a Netflix TV show, you have to press, yes, I'm (laughs) going to watch the the next episode. It's because you want to know the next part of the story. And that's what video can do for businesses as well. You want to tell your brand story. You want to tell your product story. You want to tell the story of how a customer can now use this tool to achieve success or how a, yeah, how, how a customer has achieved success through this tool. In video, you don't have to read. You just press a button, and you sit back, and you relax, and a minute to 10 minutes later, depending on the length of the video, you have consumed a wealth of information, and it's rewired your brain in some capacity because you now have this information, and you didn't have to work to do it. You literally just pressed a button and listened. You've, you've used
1: that pitch before, haven't you?
3: <laughs> a few times. I mean, look, it's it's it it, it makes sense and
1: and, it, and it's effective. Um, you know, I'm I'm curious as okay. So your company started out one way. You've developed into more of a marketing strategy agency that uses video as the medium and the message. What's what's the next stage? Is this just you know
3: bringing this to a wider audience? Is it some different iteration of your product? Sure. I mean, I think that. What's cool about marketing and technology is that there's always something new. I mean, there's a there's a whole business business tech stack space that just wasn't there ten years ago, and video like video marketing was barely even a term ten years ago. Now, like the widespread term that everybody understands, and because of that, there's new technologies coming out of how people can use video to achieve their goals and what's new and and. What's what's the new shiny object that you want to test? Like we're we're researching and we're learning something about interactive video right now, where people can essentially choose their own journey. Um, you know, you get to 15 seconds into the video, do I do I play Xbox or do I play PS3 or PS4? You click one, and then the brand the the message is shifted to that audience. Um, so interactive video, I think that's going to be really cool. But we're really just looking on what are the new newest technologies. We don't want to stay stale. We don't want to stay stagnant. We want to keep learning. We want to keep figuring out what the next best thing is in video marketing. And as, as how we're going to grow the business, we've always grown our business through customer success. We That is the most important thing when we start a project is are we going to be able to help our customer achieve success with this product? And as long as we're able to kind of keep as long as all of our clients are able to continue to achieve success with our product, that's that's the main goal. If we can take on twice as much work but still achieve the same amount of customer success, that's great. And if it keeps growing from there, that that's even better. Uh, but ultimately like you know, we've identified a few of what the next positions we might hire for at Consume Media. We're actually, you know, if you know somebody, we're looking for somebody who does graphic design and motion graphics with those designs, so if you know somebody, let us know. But um, yeah, we're just trying to ultimately just keep on providing our customers with a product that they can be successful with and, and grow, continue to grow organically.
1: Okay, so uh, for anyone listening who either knows a great candidate for you or wants to utilize your services, how do they get in touch with you?
3: Sure, um, www.consume-media.com. You can view our entire portfolio. There's a chat box over there, but you can talk to me or someone else on our team, my email is leo at consume-media.com. And um, you can find us on Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, all, all the platforms. Awesome. Leo, thanks for coming by. I appreciate
1: it, Joey. Yeah. Okay, Steve. Um, I, I, I do not remember the first time that you and I had coffee. I'm thinking it was maybe sometime earlier in this year, maybe January or February. But the moment that I heard not just the story of Instant... But your story as well about why you started it, I, just, I knew you had to come on this show. And so I'm very happy to have you on here. Um, it's an interesting time to have an organization like yours on here because I think that the people that you serve are probably more front and center in the um, country's consciousness than they ever have been before.
2: Absolutely true. And by the way, this is a great replacement for Zoom meetings all of a sudden. I've never been more delighted to be around people uh, jo- I think in, the, in the history of my life. But- jo- join my movement of down with Zoom meetings forever, please. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> um, so we, we founded Instant about five years ago as uh, after uh, a bill payment company that we had that we exited to PayPal. Um, PayPal bought this uh, bill payment platform. It was a great decade building that company, but really what I got to appreciate building that company was that that a large portion of this country lives paycheck to paycheck. We take for granted that our bills just come out of our bank account and that's how life works. Well, uh, the vast majority of this country chooses what bills they want to pay each month. So when, in talking to thousands of people over the course of building that company. What I found was people are stuck in this paycheck to paycheck lifestyle and it takes a very small hiccup financially to cause them to have to turn to uh, what's now called alternative financial services. This is kind of the category that payday lending and digital payday lending has rebranded itself as. And so a new term, same industry that's reaching into people's pockets to help them bridge paycheck to paycheck. So, when I looked at the numbers 5 years ago that number was 50% of that this country. Today it's 78% of this country. So the paycheck to paycheck style of living for working Americans has gotten worse. And and so now is there a way to affect that with technology was really the question that we asked ourselves when we were founding Instant. And that, was, that, that question was answered with, yeah, let's add a little bit of financial slack for people inside that paycheck-to-paycheck relationship or the style of living. And in doing so, can we earn the right to have a long-term financial relationship with these employees? So Instant lets employers... Introduced the instant benefit to their employees, and now employees have access to some of their pay within the pay cycle without interest charges, without taxes, without fees. And now we have this large population of instant account holders, employees working at these large companies like Carnival Cruise, Cruise Lines and Bloomin Brands, and and most. Uh, fast food or quick service restaurant brands, um, GPS hospitality that's based here out of Atlanta, every one of their locations has instant as a benefit for employees all around this city, all around this country. You see employers advertising the instant benefit out the big marquees out front that say work today, get paid today, start today, get paid tomorrow, solving for that kind of three week delay between when people start work and when they get their first paycheck. That's all powered by instant. So those industries, call centers, restaurants, uh, frontline workers, and Thrive here in Atlanta is a, is a customer of Instant that's introduced Instant as a benefit for their frontline healthcare workers. Amazingly, all of those industries have definitely become front and center. And these employees are starting to see some of what my personal story was with Instant. I mean, I had uh, my retina detach post-exit um, from Tio Networks that we had just sold to PayPal but i had my retina detached and at the time i was 34 years old and you know we had money in a savings account but our checking account where the bill payments came from that that's where that's where some of the money that from payday would come through so uh, being on you know this kind of recovery for my eye and my wife came I, I was laying in a dark room with my head turned waiting for my retina to heal up after uh, nine major surgeries uh, that were working on working on this eye my wife came in with her laptop and she said, "There's no money in the checking account, so how are we going to pay a bill?" And I said, "Well, you got to move money from your savings account to the checking account, and then you know, then you can pay bills." And as she was leaving the room, she made this, you know, she made a snarky comment because I used to take care of paying the bills and what have you. She was leaving, and she goes you know, in this day and age, why do we have to wait for paychecks to come in? It doesn't make any sense because the paycheck would come into the checking account. And, you know, there was that epiphany moment. And that that thought stuck in my head and haunted me for years. And then that's really what was the birth of instant and the need to to, to, uh, solve for this paycheck to paycheck problem for working Americans. It, It is. And
1: like, as you said, we are, you know, in, in, in generally unfortunate positions where those are things that we don't have to worry about um, and you had an experience where it gave you direct empathy for what millions of people go through every single day i want want to touch on one of the statistics that you that you mentioned there i think a lot of people listening might have heard you know there's a certain percentage of the country that can't deal with a four hundred dollar unexpected expense okay your number of 78 percent of people living paycheck to paycheck is a shocking one but the thing that shocked me even more when you and i dug into that is you're including that number it's not just people that are making let's call it below forty thousand dollars a year some of these are people who are you know, making you know, in, in, in the low six figures. And I'm curious as to what is the culprit? Some listeners might think, why does someone making in the six figures need to live paycheck to paycheck? And have you dug deeper into the profile of that person that is so strapped that they're still living paycheck to paycheck?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. And so 16% of our user population makes over six figures. And and you know when you first look at what we do, as when you look at our customer makeup, restaurants, call centers, uh, frontline workers that are essentially shift based or hourly based, you would expect this to be a, a a problem for that lower income hourly employee. Shockingly, it's absolutely not the case. It's it's a problem across the socioeconomic scale, and because what, the correlation we see is the same kind of ratio between spend and earnings. And so the alternative when you run into those challenges is actually part of the problem. So we can, if you talk to financial uh, um, uh, assistance or you talk to people that are helping people with their finances, it's always the core theory, just spend less than you make. Well, you know, you have a, this $400 emergency, You're, the transmission on your car goes, your fridge uh, is broken and your food's spoiling at home. If you're living paycheck to paycheck, where is that money going to come from? Well, we've traditionally turned to payday lending. And by the way, I don't sit here shaking my fist at payday lending. That's an expensive instrument to lend to somebody. Mm-hmm. And so those rates are somewhat justified, the, the rates that are on payday lending, the practices around recovery of those loans. I mean, there's, there's some question marks there. But what we did is we built the technology that allows us to let an employee access some of their pay within the pay cycle. And, you know, with with my own story uh, in terms of some of the challenges that we face with health and and, and incomes with knowing how our hourly workforce in this country works, it was almost a responsibility, I'd say, to start this company. And that's why... Every instant tier at this company or existing instant tiers, all the alumni that have been through the instant program or or served instant, we talk about a mission. We don't talk about a technology company. We don't talk about a business. We talk about being on a mission because if you look in the app store where you can download the instant app, you're seeing thousands and thousands of personal stories just like mine where Instant was there for an employee of one of these companies, and they were able to take some of their money without um, interest charges or fees, and it's starting to change people's relationship with their pay. Instead of being bestowed a paycheck every two weeks or once a month from an, from your employer, I work today. If I want, I can take some of my earnings today. So now you can start to think about, Joey, socioeconomic behaviors, right? I mean, almost it's like a a field, right? And and the biweekly paycheck or the monthly salary is almost like flooding the plane and then turning the tap off as opposed to instant pay really starts to change people's relationship with their money in that it's more of a sprinkler system, right? And now that money's there for you all the time. So people are telling stories to us about instant users. Our account holders are telling us stories that they're taking their instant pay and they're using our instant card that's associated to the program as a, as a debit card. They're not pulling their credit card out of their pocket anymore. You know, the, one of the most terrifying things that, w- that I learned in my time with TEO Networks, the bill payment platform, was the, 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 the trauma that people go through when they're about to swipe their card. Why does cash still exist in this country? It's because people are scared to use plastic sometimes. Standing in line at the grocery store with two children tugging at your coattails and you pull out your card and you don't know if it's going to go through or not, that that decline is traumatic for people. So now if you finished your shift or you finished your day at an employer that offers the instant benefit, that money is available to you on your card and you know that card is going to go through. So in terms of timeliness you know we serve these these industries that have frontline employers I'm sorry employees like the restaurant industry yeah. like healthcare like call centers these were all deemed essential services we also serve the people that are doing this work by being there for them when they need a little bit of their earnings so they don't have to turn to other services. So it's not really just a solution for making ends meet between paychecks. It's also starting to change people's relationship with their pay. And in this, you know, during this, these pandemic times and, and everything that's been going on around us, we started to see a groundswell from employees. Employees finished a shift at, at, at Outback Steakhouse. They got access to some of their earnings that day. They went to the grocery store before the store ran out of eggs or milk because they had their instant program with them. They went to Costco and bought toilet paper before you know the, the toilet paper ran out. All those different scenarios of how people were using their money has created this kind of groundswell for us, which is accelerating our business. We've never seen such an incredible demand for instant. The type of customers, the large enterprise customers that are reaching out to us today is because over the last three or four months, the um, Instant was there for employees. That's created this groundswell amongst employees telling their employers, I want Instant or something like Instant. Otherwise, you know, I might have to go look for a job somewhere else.
1: Well, and so is the idea for an, an organization that uses the Instant platform that it, it essentially will want, it's, it's a way to treat your employees well, but also it's a competitive advantage in terms of hiring. So let's say you've got, all right, Yum Brands, which owns Taco Bell and KFC and Pizza Hut, and you've got RBI, which owns brands like Burger King and Popeyes. Okay, and you've got someone who's deciding whether to work at you know, let's call it a Burger King or a Taco Bell, and they know that you know Yum Brands has signed on with you. That gives some sort of advantage because they say, well, you know, I can go work at you know Taco Bell and have a better experience and actually be able to get money when I need it
2: that's exactly it so it's it's almost you know it's it's uh, I don't want to say it loosely, but it's 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 a solution. as time has come, and I wish I could take credit for it. I'd I love to be able to take credit for it, but it, it's really the, the the last six months or so has really accelerated this market. And now, like I said, the employee is demanding the service from the employer, and and that's why the employers advertise the instant benefit because it drives more applications into some of these jobs that they have posted. Right, so now the employer can choose the best employee that's available available to them instead of just the employee that pl- applied for a job they're they're seeing uh, increases in employee engagement as they measure employee NPS ratings they're seeing increases in attendance. Uh, said a different way, lower absenteeism, sure. right? Lower uh, 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 unfilled shifts, especially for the shifts that are like the weekend shifts, the overnight shifts, the graveyard shifts really shifts that people didn't want to work. And most importantly, the employers are seeing reductions in turnover because the employee is more engaged, happier, is grateful to the employer for the instant benefit. They're staying, uh, the increases in tenureship are resulting in decreases in turnover.
1: I mean that that all obviously speaks volumes and it would I imagine to many people including yourself and those that you serve you wonder how is this not something that didn't exist before how is this a new product but this is a relatively new technology and um you know I'm this is something that had traditionally been filled by payday lending right and you know you can y- yes those are much riskier loans to make and so um at a a certain point and a certain high interest rate can be justified but obviously there have been issues with those practices um, in collecting but how do you go from payday lending, no technology like Instant exists to Instant exists and Instant has competitors? How were you able to first convince organizations to sign on to this before there was really this massive proof of concept?
2: So great question. Actually, that's why we started in the hospitality industry, in the restaurant industry. The restaurant industry, especially quick service, fast food brands, have this you know 100% plus turnover number. They, they turn over their entire workforce more uh, than 100%. So they're turning it's, 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 this conveyor belt, this constant stream of employees coming in, this, this constant stream of employees turning over on the other side. And, and the product isn't necessarily the food, it's the people. And they train these people, they, they stay for a little bit, and they, they then they go across the street for an extra 10 cents an hour. And so that's really the problem we were able to solve for. But the hospitality industry understood this. And so the ability to impact, well, actually, I should say make one more comment. It's also an industry that's very people-centric. They understand the challenges that their people meet have because the manager is right there running the location the manager knows that Steve came into work today and Joey is the manager had to lend Steve $10 so Steve can get back to work tomorrow. All of those kind of personal stories are represented in that industry. So, you know, our first customers were, were within the hospitality space, and, and I'm delighted to say you know, we have 100% customer referenceability. Every customer that's rolled the program out is happy, and they're happy because the program aligns to how people think. But there is also another accelerating effect as well. You know, you t- we talked about the gig platforms a little bit earlier, like Uber and Lyft and Postmates. Every single gig platform in this country offers instant pay or service like instant. So those 10, 20, 25 million Americans now that, that work at uh, the gig platforms have, have brought with them this expectation that they have access to some of their earnings. And that accelerated yeah. this for us. Interesting. I did not realize that the, it's,
1: it's almost like it, it forces the hand That's exactly of other organizations to comply. Yeah. Huh. Um, I want to talk a little bit. We, we we touched on this when we were discussing kind of Atlanta um, with Leo, but you moved here from Vancouver with your
2: family. From lovely Vancouver. We moved, uh, uh, my wife and I moved our three boys uh, to Atlanta, Georgia, very specifically for Instant. So Vancouver is a wonderful city and it's picturesque. It doesn't have a lot of financial technology infrastructure, or a lot of companies that have run at scale that are that are financial services or financial technology centric, and so what we wanted to do was go where the talent is, and, and Atlanta is so much about culture and people. And so that fit for us perfectly when you think about the number of fintech companies that have been based and built out of Atlanta. So for us, uh, I transitioned out of the CEO role recently and brought in our new professional CEO from Atlanta, our CFO from Atlanta, our uh, senior vice president of sales and our sales team out of the Southeast. And so really being able to find people that, uh, that could really take this mission, that could do justice to the speed that instance is growing at. Uh, we're here in this city, and so when we looked at San Francisco or New York or Atlanta from a, both a cultural perspective, uh, the Southeast represented, uh, you know, what my family and I stand for. Yeah. it also gave us this amazing access to talent. That's been through the growth stages, all centered around financial technology. So as mission-based as we are, as we stand to serve employers and their employees, at the end of the day, we still move money and data. And this city represented a great, great opportunity for us to go find some of the world's breast and and attract them to the instant mission. So I I actually did not realize that you moved out of the CEO
1: role recently, and so I'm curious what you're spending your time on at Instant these days.
2: Evangelizing? <laughs> so so you know we talk about being mission based so yeah. I spend uh, a lot of my time with regulators both city and uh, sorry uh, state and and federal the rules around how people are paid is very very clear right as in terms of uh, how it used to be but as we've brought a new technology to into the marketplace it brings with it a responsibility to help the regulators understand the impact a service like instant has so that they can craft the evolving regulations that align to to taking care of the constituents within their territory. So a lot of a lot of time is spent with regulators. I assist our our, our go-to-market team constantly with making sure that the employers understand what we're doing and why. And, and so the, the combination of those two, along with being an active member in our executive team, that, that fills out uh, a day and then some. Yeah,
1: I could imagine. Well, well look, a, a, a mission-driven enterprise, if I'd ever heard one, I encourage uh, anyone listening, um, even if you don't have an... Use for instant services. Just check out the mission and the story. It is again as we have gotten into a world where the uh, you know quote unquote essential workers now in our consciousness more than ever. Um, I think it is very important to understand the lived experience of those who are using your products and services. Thanks so much. Yeah. Uh, okay. Ayal Benishti you've been very patient
0: over there. <laughs> <laughs> so it was very interesting. So, uh,
1: yeah, it's uh, it's, um, it's 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 a special story, and I you know I think it's pretty clear why I wanted to have Steve on and share it. Um, so, Iron Scales, uh, we we can go a couple of different directions for this. I want to talk about um, you know your transition from a um, Israeli company to a you know global company establishing a location here in Atlanta. Um, but first, I want to talk a little bit about the technology that you're working on. Um, on the email phishing side of the world. So why don't you tell people who are listening who have no idea what email phishing is and why it's a problem, what
0: your company um, is uh, trying to solve. Sure. So first and foremost, I'm coming from a a technical background. Before I was, because I was a security researcher and malware malware analyst, so I was kind of experiencing firsthand um, the the, the potential outcomes of... uh, a phishing email or a successful uh, phishing attack, and looking back then, you know many people were kind of under the assumption that you know phishing and spam is a is a solved problem, and it was um, actually not uh, not right or not not a fact back then. Um, and this is why I decided to kind of you know go on a mission and try and, uh, and help organization to, to better protect around against phishing, since you know. It's, it's not just that phishing was not a solved problem. It was evolving and evolving in a way that was very um, concerned, at least uh, for my eyes. I could see, like, you know, why uh, back then, why, you know, uh, what I've considered, like, you know, that threat actors were not kind of, you know, um, yet taking phishing to, to its full extent in regards to what they can still do with, like, you know, leveraging these tools of phishing and social engineering. Um, So I started Iron Skills because, like I said, I was feeling that, you know, fishing is is about to grow uh, in exponential way, while uh, the defenders us like, you know, what we're trying to do is kind of thinking in a more linear uh, way about how we should protect against fishing, like, you know, trying to see what is out there and coming with uh, very point solutions uh, in order to kind of, you know, be reactive to to the new things that uh, they're protecting. So we really started Iron Scales with a more kind of a exponential defense um, mindset or how we can grow exponentially, like the same way that the are growing in order to um, provide with a better, faster, simpler solution for organization, not necessarily just, you know, large enterprises because fishing was going down stack and, and, and stop just being a, a large enterprise problem and becoming more mid-business and now nowadays even SMB's uh, problem. Um, so, so that's what we had in mind when we started to build skills. How can we build something that can um, match the sophistication and the scale of phishing uh, on one hand and at the same time be um, simple, affordable uh, for medium, SMB and large enterprise um, to use and in order to protect their network. You, you kind
1: of saw the storm brewing on the horizon um, and the vulnerabilities that I would imagine uh, most organizations are probably wise to now, but um, I, I, I tend to think, and this is a, generally a good trait in humanity, that we mostly think the best of people um, and, and the best of situations and... Um, it would seem that one of your primary roles is to basically think about the worst case scenario of how organizations can be taken advantage of by the worst actors
0: out there. Exactly. And I think that COVID gave us a great lesson about it. Like you know, once once it hit, you were seeing those kinds of monetizing and leveraging on the fact in order to create to come up with new schemes that um, are more around COVID and stimulus checks and stuff like that and you could see how they quickly kind of adapt um, to, the, to the situation and being very seasonal about how they, you know, come up with new ways to, at the end of the day, steal money from people and uh, and organization, which was just kind of, you know, reinforcing the fact that being reactive or building solutions that are linear and reactive in, in, in nature will, will never work for us, and we need to come with solutions that are more self-learning, that can grow as fast or adapt quickly um, to, the common types
1: Well, in, in interesting on the on the on the COVID theme. It seems to me that the way that your technology works is almost the way in which um, you know I think we've all heard about um, antibodies from healthy people being used as a treatment for those who have COVID, and it would seem to me that your technology works similarly. You've got the quote unquote antibodies as the behavior of a small um, portion of employees who are really able to catch. Um, these being used as best practices for all of those who really don't understand the vulnerabilities. Exactly,
0: I, I think it's a it's a great analogy, and I guess that everyone that is sitting in this room, like and again, it's super exciting to to meet people face to face. are uh, kind of waiting for the vaccine to to arrive, and and we see that it's a it's a long process, and I just think it's a great analogy to what we see in the in the cybersecurity from a defender perspective, like you know. Some kind of a virus is attacking us, and now we need a long research process in order to come with a the, with the solution. And what we are di- trying to do, and it's easier in, with fishing than it's with COVID, obviously, is to come with technology that can close the gap uh, much, much faster. So imagine you had a technology to kind of, you know, um, in, in a self-learning ma- manner, like you not know, understand that there is a new virus and come with uh, with the vaccine in in a couple of seconds instead of 18 months or whatever they're promising us uh, out there. So how you take the first, like patient zero, take the antibodies from patient zeros and automatically come with the solution and you know, spreading this vaccine in order to make sure that no one else will be infected.
1: Well, and so let, let's dig in a little bit to actually how this works. I alluded to it in my analogy and, and you did as well, but you're, you're essentially, if I'm correct, almost creating simulations, simulated attacks that go out to employees and you're, you're essentially tracking who's able to catch it and who's not able to catch it.
0: Yeah. So indeed, one, you know, one piece of our platform and, um, maybe it will, will uh, be good to say that, you know, the, the approach that we took, uh, originally is, is a that's saying, Hey, you know, phishing is a human and machine problem. And this is why we need a human and machine, uh, solution. So in order to tackle the human part of, uh, of the problem, um, Quote unquote, we use uh, phishing simulation and training, which means we will um, actively challenge your employees against you know um, phishing attacks that we see uh, in the wild, and we'll give them uh, first the sense of how it looks like, so they can experience it firsthand. Second, we'll give the the, the organization some kinds of visibility into what's their what's the current status. Are their employees will normally click on this kind of stuff or not? And for the ones that did click, we will give them some training, some ad hoc training, nugget training, video based, and, and not all, only in order to um, help them better understand the risk and how to to avoid it. Are, have you found that there's a certain profile of
1: employee that is better at catching um, these simulations than others? I mean, is it across functionality, age group, um, or is it just it just?
0: there's no rhyme or reason to it? So, there is no, and, and, and it heavily depends um, or relies on, you know, what kinds of scenarios you're using against them. So some people will be more susceptible to stuff that looks like, you know, fake CVs, fake voicemails, fake emails coming from C-level or, uh, you know, uh, specific kinds of teams. So it's very individual. And this is, the, this is why phishing is so hard, like, you know, because if a threat actor is kind of spending the time to do the reconnaissance and really learn about you and who are you and what, what you will probably click on, it can be super successful, even with you know people that are doing uh, fishing for for living. Sometimes, even for me, when I get an invoice that I need to pay, I need to really look deeply into the email in order to realize whether it's a simulation because we're running simulations on Iron Scales as well, or it's a real invoice that I uh, that I need to pay. So. If you do it right, it's very hard to spot a uh, fishing you're, you're, you're never sure if
1: you're in or out of the matrix, even in your own world.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: Uh, look, I have to say, as, as someone who considers himself pretty savvy in these um, arenas and I've been able to catch these things, you know, there are uh, text messages that, I'm, messages that I'm starting to get now. It It's incredible just how... Um, how well these things can be hidden. And I'm almost ashamed of myself the one or two times that I click. And of course, nothing bad has happened. I was like, oh, I should have known that was it. But um, it's shocking,
0: really. It is. And again, um, you know, cyber criminals are making a lot of money um, from successful attack. Um, We're talking about dozens of billions of dollars um, every year now. So obviously they're investing a lot on... um, Research and development themselves, so they're coming with new stuff all the time. And it's not just you know you can imagine someone sitting in his um, parents' um, parents' house and you know in underwears and launching some emails from his uh, laptop. It's not the case now. You know, it, it, these, these are cybercrime is now it's organized. Yeah, they are. They are like I said. They have their own R and D. They're leveraging on automation, AI. Even like you see that now. They're looking into new technologies that are more ML and AI based in order to automatically go and learn about people and craft the best email phishing in order to to lure them into click on something or download something. So it's really becoming um, uh, a big, big uh, issue that is not going anywhere anytime soon.
1: Is, Is this just the price that we pay for transitioning our entire personal and business lives to email and text? I mean, I mean I'm, I, and again, that's not me saying that. Like, well, we just have to put up with this, and you know, we it, we de, quote unquote deserve it. But it's like, well, we um, is, is is there a certain point that we're never going to be able to solve all of this, and it is just simply how much can we
0: mitigate? At, at the end of the end of the day, you know, people and business they need to communicate, and it's. It's not that we are going to go back to, you know, uh, pen on paper and sending uh, letters in the mail. We will keep, you know, using digital kinds of uh, mediums in order to to communicate. So it will keep growing and our job is to find a way to to secure it and not to try and stop, you know, the fact that, you know, companies are becoming more and more uh, digital. We can't stop the digital transformation. Like I said, people will use more communication, more messaging on more mediums. And we will just need to adapt and find new ways in order to protect it.
1: Okay, so I, w- I want to talk about geography and background a little bit. So um, you come from Israel, you come from Tel Aviv, um, and you chose to come and establish the um, America's arm of iron scales how long ago? About two years ago. Okay, so let, let's talk about Israel first. One of, one of the things that is always fascinating about Israel is that you have... <laughs> It's hard for me to think of a greater startup nation success story. You, you have somewhere that was just essentially a plot of desert 70 years ago and is now one of the most sophisticated high-technology meccas in the entire world. What, what is it about that country that can turn um, you know, somewhat of a barren piece of land into what Israel has become in less than 100 years? Because it really is an amazing
0: story. Yeah, I think there are many reasons for that. Like, you know, and there were books even re- being written about it. Um, I think you need to remember that at the end of the day, um, we have nothing to export but software. We don't have oil or a- any other uh, thing like that. Um, uh, we have a mandatory army service where people are going and, you know, serving in positions that are not necessarily uh, frontline, but some of them are dealing with technology, uh, offensive and defensive uh, kinds of technology. So we see some great IT coming from IT talent and IT knowledge kind of coming out of the IDF uh, as well. And the IDF is not just, uh, I think, the best training school for uh, cyber and IT people. It's just, you know, it's just an experience that's shaping people's life in a way that um, I think preparing them better to uh, to this kind of life that is, uh, um, you know, Helping to, to found, to build companies and, and be in IT and technology and software in general. Um, so it's cultural and the circumstances.
1: Yeah, I can imagine that. And that's that, that's interesting using um, sort of the, the IDF as a lens through which to understand this. It certainly is a very different experience and relationship with armed service and national service than I think anyone in our country has, um, miles away, uh, different um, and and I, I could see how that would create some a bit of a shared purpose, um, you know, and uh, sort of commonality amongst every different group of people who has to serve, regardless.
0: Yeah. So so this experience definitely, it's like you know, it's bringing um, different people together that you kind of need to kind of learn how to get along with. Um, so. Um, and the kind of things and experiences that you are kind of going through uh, through your Army service are kind of, you know, uh, from a maturity perspective, like it's 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 really, it's a maturing experience in the way that you are not like you are enlisting when you are 18 and in, in three years, like you've been through so, so many things um, that when you are done with that and you're ready to go to your kind of, you know, post, uh, post-service life, you are kind of equipped with tools that, People that didn't go through this experience, they they don't have it.
1: Sure, and so you ultimately made the decision several years ago to move your family to Atlanta. Um, they're similar to Steve, and you know that that was you know where you thought it, Iron Scales would thrive the best, and that your family would thrive the best. And of course, you know I'm, I have to be curious about what the calculation was and why
0: Atlanta. So. I used to say that this is my second elevator pitch because the first one is what is iron Ironskillet, and second why Atlanta because I get this question so many times. I, why Atlanta? I, I call. I, I don't know what
1: you are going to say, but I probably
0: know what you are going to say, and I call this the uh, the
1: the Metro Chamber pitch. Well. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So uh, the, the Metro Chamber is obviously one of the reasons, but. Um, you know, it's considering the different options and obviously, you know, the, the Silicon Valley and New York and Boston, which are kind of the, the immediate suspects for a technology company from Israel, um, kind of relocate into in order to uh, to build the business here. And again, you know, the U.S. is the main market. So being here, being present was making uh, lots of sense uh, back then. And, and, and it's still, by the way, so that was kind of the main motivation. Like you said, Israel is a very small place. You can... Can sell to Israel, and in the first year, you are kind of you are done. Okay, I need more customers. <laughs> um, so moving to the biggest uh, market um, in the world was kind of the incentive. And Atlanta, because um, and and I think that it's very typical to you know how I built the company and, and the kind of the core values around what what own skills are. It's like you know, um, be be different and kind of you know don't uh, follow the don't follow the herd. You know, just because everyone is building companies in New York and Boston and, and, and the Valley doesn't necessarily mean that this is the right thing to do. Kind of right. like, you know, try and, and see the trends and find threads and find uh, places that are maybe not hubs um, at the moment, but you will see the potential for them to grow and become a technology hub. And I think that Atlanta is definitely uh, one of them and I think we are seeing it in the, in the happening in the past two years or so. So first and foremost, I'm very, very happy about uh, this decision. I think it was uh, the right decisions, and we are here to stay. And second, obviously, you know, Atlanta is um, it, it is in, located in the East Coast, which makes, you know, we're still running the, the product analogy back in Tel Aviv. So it's very sure. easy to kind of, you know, relatively easy. You know, it's only seven hours difference so to maintain the kind of... Um, Time zones matter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, it's, so it's really helping, like, you know, from, from the... The times that I was visiting on the West Coast with ten hours difference like you know to maintaining the communication with, back with Tel Aviv was almost impossible, like you know it's literally when they wake up you go to sleep and the other way around second was believe it or not the weather <laughs> it's it's much closer to what we we experience in Tel Aviv, so yeah. I, I can't stand the cold. I don't know how you lived in Vancouver, but you know for for me um, snow or unless I'm you know on a vacation like it's it's not a my preferred kind of uh, weather. Um, it's a great hub, like, you know, from a traveling perspective, like, you can, except for Israel, like, everywhere I need to go, it's like one hop, and uh, it's making it very, very uh, easy. And again, great culture, great people, um, and a great environment.
1: Yeah, that's, uh, you know, it, it's, you, you, you hear this so much that, um... I am slightly concerned and obviously this would be a good problem to have for what happens in, I don't know, let's call it 15 years or so, where are people looking at different cities to move to and Atlanta is one of the ones where they say, you know, as opposed to taking the path less traveled, it's, you know, it's saturated, right? Or it's become too expensive or everyone's there. Um, And it's some other place that kind of has that scrappy underdog um, mentality, You know, uh, we should be so lucky that we get there, but, you know, there, there is a part of me, look, just as you have to look to the future and see upcoming threats, you know, as, as someone who, you know, obviously in, in real estate, my product is essentially the city of Atlanta, right? And I wondered to myself, well, is there a point at which that messaging changes? And I'm sure there's going to be, um, but, but now is a very unique time, I think, in the city's history.
0: I, I think it's, you know, it's the same cycle at some point in, in Atlanta. You will see more mature, big companies, which is not a bad thing. Like you see sure. more tech, mature, big companies, public companies like that, that started a startup. And, you know, other startup companies will look for other uh, places, which is uh, perfectly fine. Um, now, it's not that I'm saying that, you know, startup will not come to Atlanta or if startups are not going to New York or Boston. They're still uh, going there. For some of them, it makes a lot sure. of sense. For us as a cybersecurity company, we truly believe that this is the next next place, the next hub.
1: I mean, look, if, if, you, if you had to choose two, you know, sort of segments underneath the technology capital T umbrella that are really thriving, obviously one of them is financial services and, and, and the other would, I think, would be cybersecurity, certainly. yeah. yeah. Um, well, all, I really appreciate you coming on. If someone wants to learn more about iron scales, how do they do that? Uh, go to IonSkills.com. <laughs> <laughs> I-R-O-N-S-C-A-L-E-S. Yeah. Wonderful. All right, everyone, again, seeing you in person was wonderful. Thanks for coming on the show. Have a great day.